flip over with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pray and we will get moving. Lord, we thank you for this book. And Lord, we've been in it since October of 2020. And God, today we're going to be finishing it up, Lord. And I am asking, God, as we dig into your word, as we spend time soaking, God, in this last chapter of Matthew, Father, would you open our hearts and open our minds, Lord, to the thing that you want to speak into our hearts. God, would you give us the wisdom to know the things and the words that you want to tell us, Lord God. Lord, would you just, God, I'm asking, Father, meet us where we are, but Father, don't leave us where we are, God. We want to walk out of here different than when we walked in, God. Would you get a hold of us? Holy Spirit, would you get me out of the way, Lord? We want to hear from you today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys, last week, you remember, we kind of like left Jesus in the tomb. That's where we had left him. And we talked about last week that the key thing that we all needed to remember this entire time, the key thing to the entirety of scripture that I would say is probably the most important point is this. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again. Amen. Amen? That is the key. That's it, man. Because if he stayed in the tomb, then everything he said about him coming back would all be nothing, which means that everything he said would be a lie, but it wasn't a lie, you guys. He came back. He came back, and it's awesome. And so that's where we had left him, and we talked a little bit last week. We talked a lot last week about where he was during that time when he was in the tomb. And we kind of dug deep last week and looked at this Thing that a lot of scholars believe. We went to First Peter, you remember? And we talked about this idea that what was he doing, you guys? He was down talking to those that were in Abraham's bosom. You remember that? Paradise. All of those that were before Christ, if you want to read in First Peter, it talks a lot about this idea and the, the, um, what some believe was a parable. I don't. Lazarus and the rich man. That's where we learn this idea of Abraham's bosom and this, this chasm between the two and then this place that we would call hell, but it wasn't the hell that we know now. That's going to come later, right? The lake of fire, which is worse than where they're at now. And so there's this divide and there's this place. And that's where he went, man. He went and he released all of these people. And we saw Matthew look at all these supernatural happenings. All these things that we saw throughout the scripture last week. We looked at the fact that the veil was torn from top to bottom. And this veil, you guys, was 18 inches thick. I don't care who the strongest person here is, who the man that thinks like, I'm the man, woo, right? Like, I don't care how strong you are, you're not going to rip an 18-inch thick veil. And oh, by the way, it's a very tall veil because it was literally the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, right? Like, it was the place where that, that divided that place where the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was that, that the... That the uh, chief priest only went in once a year, right? Like this was like super, lots of meaning, lots of depth. This curtain was huge. It was really tall. It was torn from top to bottom. It was like God was saying when Jesus died, like he's made the way. It's clear. You can come in. You can be in direct relationship with me. It was beautiful. It was amazing, but it was only because of God. We looked at that. We looked at the fact that there was this three hours of darkness before he died. And we talked about the fact that it can get cloudy, but that's not what it was saying in the Greek. It was saying it was dark, pitch dark. And you know what this time was, these three hours from noon to three? Have you ever seen a day that was pitch dark in the, in the I mean, unless you're from, you lived in Alaska for a while, that doesn't happen, right? Like it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in this part of the world, that's for sure. So this was something supernatural that was happening here. And then we finally, we looked at this 
idea that, man, when he died, when he said to Telestai, when he said, it is finished, that at that point, right then and there, you guys, the earth shook, the earth quaked, and the rocks split, and all these things were happening. And then we looked at that one last final weird thing, which is why it got us to thinking, man, what happened during the three days when he was in the grave? Because Matthew clumps this in and says that this happened at the point of resurrection in verse 50, where is it? 52 in chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And we talked about the fact that when that happened, that's why most scholars believe that what was happening during those three days, he was down at Abraham's bosom and telling them, look, you're going to go now to heaven. Like, I'm here. You've been waiting on me this whole time. You followed God and you're going home. And then Peter tells us that he also went and spoke to those that were on the side of hell, essentially, right? In this area of Hades and went and told them, here's why you're here. He explained his justice to them, that they had not followed God, that they didn't want anything to do with God in their life. And at this point, they had chosen to be there, and that's where they were going to spend eternity. And so he laid that out for them, and the other ones got released. And most of them, I believe, went straight to heaven, which is where they are now. Except for some of them, oddly enough, came up out of the graves. And what we read here in the Greek is actually that it was like Lazarus. They were called up out of the grave. They came back to life to live another life and die again. Dude, if I were in Abraham's bosom, if I were in paradise, and then it's like, hey, all of us, man, we're going to heaven. Woo! And then you're like, not you guys. You're going to go back and live another life. I'd be like, really? What the heck? But what kind of, what, what kind of example was that? That they were like, man, you guys... Like, I don't even know what that looked like. I have no idea. Matthew's the only gospel that mentions it. I don't know what to do with it, you guys. When we get to heaven, we maybe will go hunt one of them down and be like, what, what was that? Like, what, what was that like? I have no idea, but I know that it's in God's word, and so I believe it. Yeah. Right? I, I believe it. I take it as gospel truth. I'm like, okay, I, I, God, I don't know why you did that, but I know this. His death, Jesus' death, had supernatural happenings all around it. And if it was for no other reason than for us to read it and be like, whoa, this guy Jesus is more than just a man, then maybe that's good enough. Does that make sense? Like, can we just trust that God's doing something here? And I, yeah, it's crazy. So we looked at all these things, but today we're going to finish up the book of Matthew and there's a lot to dig into. So let's get moving. We've got 45 minutes to cram an hour message into. Let's go. Verse one of chapter 28 says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They'd straight passed out, y'all. Verse 5, the angel answered and said to the woman, the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And so you guys, when was this? It was the day after the Sabbath. When is the Sabbath in the Jewish culture? Saturday, right? It's from Friday night to Saturday evening. From nightfall to nightfall, right? They have a lunar calendar. So it's basically Saturday is their, is their Sabbath. And so this was the day after the Sabbath. Do you guys remember what was happening during the Sabbath? Those religious leaders, those people that were like the ones that were going to hammer on anybody that didn't follow the law, broke the law to go to Pilate to set a guard on the tomb so that no one would steal the body. Set a seal on the tomb so that no one would steal the body. Did all these things, broke all the laws. Why? Because they were that afraid of this guy coming back. These ladies here, they waited. They did what they were supposed to do. They're like, Lord, you told us to honor the Sabbath and that's what we're going to do. And so they let Jesus lay there. And we got to remember what happened on Friday night. Do you remember like Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very wealthy man. Like we talked last week, like we're talking like Elon Musk rich. Like he just could launch rockets into the air and blow them up for fun. Kind of rich. Like that's the kind of money this guy had, right? He had a tomb that was literally hand hewn out of the rock. Like this was not an unwealthy man. And he was also joined. He, he went and he asked Pilate for the body and Pilate gave him the body and he took the body. But we, we read in the other gospel, right? I think two of the other gospels that, that this guy Nicodemus joined him. And Nicodemus was that religious leader that had come to him in the night. And we know from, religion, from Jewish history, right? From the Talmud that he was the third richest man in all of Israel. So we're talking like Bill Gates and Elon Musk getting together to get Jesus' body and do something with it. Why do I say all that? The other thing we learned about Nicodemus is that the, the Talmud tells us that he was the third richest man. He had all this prestige. He had all this power. His daughter's wedding was the most opulent wedding at that point, according to the Talmud, of any wedding ever in Israel. Now think about that because we have King David. We have King Solomon. I'm sure his daughter's weddings were amazing. Yeah. I'm sure they were off the chain, but they were not as off the chain as this guy's party. So think about that. But do you know what else we know? His daughter was scraping barley and things off the threshing floor because when he became a Christian, everything changed. They lost all their wealth. They lost everything. He chose Jesus over everything. And so his daughter also chose Jesus over everything. You guys, this is the life that we saw kind of playing out through all these things. And these ladies here, we looked at them. They came to the tomb. Mary Mags and Mama Mary, right? Both of them, they're there. They're doing their thing. Right before they get to the scene, there's this massive earthquake. How many people have seen the new Jumanji? Come on. How many people have seen a Marvel film? Think about this. The angel comes down. I have Jumanji in my head because if you guys remember when they go into the game, right? And it's the rock lands first and it's like... It makes that crazy noise and he's going down through all the brush and then all of a sudden he's falling out of the sky and when he lands, he's like, Goo! he lands down on his knee, right? And then he does the little eyebrow like, Meh. right? <laughs> or think of a Marvel film, like Iron Man being like, bow or Thor or something. That's what I imagine with this angel because when he hit the earth, the earth quaked. It was like, bow! And the guard's like, oh, and just passed out. <laughs> Right? Like they're, they're done, man. They're, they're off the scene. It says that they became like dead men. It shocked them. 
Literally, it shocked them, you guys. And so here's the deal. The earthquake was caused by the angel smacking the earth. The earthquake did not open the door. The angel opened the door. That's what the Bible tells us. But the earthquake definitely rocked the world of those guards. So much so it knocked them out. Or whatever that looked like. So the angel then rolled back the stone. And I need us to get our heads around this. This was a wealthy man's grave. This was not just some cheap thing where you just kind of rolled a little stone in front of a hole where all the animals could get in and eat the flesh and do all the stuff like some graves were at that time. No, a wealthy man's grave had a, had a stone that was cut out that was like a big disc, basically, that was rolled up in this trough, this little channel that it was rolled up into, and it had to be rolled uphill, which means no animal was going to be able to pull that thing open. And when it was sealed, you guys, it was so well designed that it was basically airtight. It was like not able to be gotten into. And so it was easy to close because it was on a downward channel. So you would just push it and go and fall into place and stop, right? But you took, it took multiple guys to get this thing back open because you're pushing this heavy, heavy stone uphill back through this channel. So this angel shows up, earthquake, whenever he lands, right? He does his little rock eyebrow thing. And then after that moment, you guys, all of these guards are like knocked out. They're done. And then he just goes over and he's like, Zoomp, and he opens up the thing. Now, why did he open it? Did he open up to let Jesus out? I don't think so. I don't think so. It doesn't say anything about that. I don't have no idea. I don't think Jesus is in there like, ah! <laughs> no, I think Jesus is already out of there, yeah. right? We know from reading scripture, if you guys want some pictures of what our heavenly bodies might be, read about Jesus's resurrected body. If we have like half of those little things, that's going to be really cool. Jesus was like just popping in and out of places. He's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It was awesome. But this angel rolls the stone back and then sits on it. Why? Because when the women show up, what were they there for? Well, they're there to finish the burial process. They weren't able to do all the things they needed to do. And so they showed up and they did it the right way. And I need us to get our heads around that, you guys, because I don't know about you, but I think sometimes as humans, don't we want to circumnavigate what God says to do sometimes because it's our convenience? Think about this. And I'm not talking about just convenience like, oh, I don't want to deal with this on the next day. No, you guys, they wanted to love Jesus well. And at that point for them, loving Jesus well was giving him the best burial they could. And yet they still said, God, we honor you above even our own emotion at this moment to wait. The hardest thing we can do is wait. And yet that's what we're going to do because we respect you, God. And so here they come and they're, they've got their things. They're, they're ready to kind of finish it off and just love on Jesus as much as they could in, in whatever way they could in this moment. And they get there and there's an angel just sitting there, Right? It says his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. I cannot imagine. If I were a guard, I think I would have passed out too. Right? I mean, this is insane. And so they're afraid, but he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Very common phrase that we hear from angels. So I think, you know, if we see an angel, nine times out of 10, it's probably going to just freak us out. And that's what these women were. They were freaked out. And the angel was like, chill out. Calm down. It's okay. I'm, it's all good. Like, relax, right? You're looking for Jesus, but he's not here because he's risen. And notice he says, like he said. I want us to process this thought for just a moment. We know scripture tells us all throughout scripture, there's places where it talks about the angels. Man, they, they, they like desire to look in and understand like 
God, why do you love these humans? Like, what's the deal with this people that you've created? Like, why? Why do you do? And then, and then look at, in awe and wonder, they stand and they're like, whoa, look what, look at what you did for them and, and all this and that. But I often wonder too, if these angels sometimes are like, they're dumb, God. <laughs> like, like, what's, why do you just, man, you just keep pouring grace on their, they don't even get it. Like you've told the disciples how many times they ran away. Like, man, Lord. But these angels, man, they, they, they did their job, right? I loved what he says. Go quickly, tell his disciples he's risen from the dead, verse 7. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then he's like, I told you, I did my job. Get out of here, right? So they go do what they're told, these ladies. They go back to the disciples and they tell them the good news and let the disciples know like, hey, man, we're heading to Galilee. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what this angel told us. Verse 9 says this. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. And so they came and held him by the, the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Oh, man. So on their way back, they get this physical evidence, right? They heard from the angel that Jesus was risen. They went into the, to the tomb, and they're like, Nobody's here. But they, they're on their way back and Jesus shows up and he's like, rejoice. And I'm like, yes, I would be rejoicing. And so they go and they grab his feet. They're like, oh, it's so good to see you. You know, imagine being Mary, Mama Mary, man, son, here you are. The same woman that earlier, 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 who knows if it was a year, year and a half earlier, said to Jesus, like, bring him away like he's going crazy, right? And then they're like, hey, man, your mom and brothers are out there saying, you're going a little loony. And he's like, who's my mom? Who's my brothers? Remember that? Yeah. That same woman getting to see her son resurrected, yeah. thinking like, yeah, you were not crazy. What you said was true. Mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene. Just a woman that has such a checkered past. And yet God, Jesus rescues her and brings her to himself, right? And like, what a, what a beautiful picture of these two ladies just falling at Jesus' feet, just worshiping him. And so he reveals himself. He says, hey man, don't be afraid. Go and tell my, he says the same thing, right? Go, go get him and get him off to Galilee. That's where we're heading. I want to stop for a minute, you guys, and examine the meaning of this meeting for these women. So we are not going very deep into this this week because I want to just give you guys a heads up, man. Find yourself a good harmonization of the Gospels, specifically this chapter. There's a lot that we're skipping over that Matthew just kind of left on the cutting room floor, so to speak, that was picked up by Mark, you know, Peter and, and just all these, Mark and, and Luke and all these guys, right? We see that like Mary Mags actually sees Jesus right at the temple and then they go and then they see him again. So this is actually the second time that they're seeing Jesus, right? And then there's like all this other stuff that we're going to kind of jump over, but go find a harmonization and read that. I would encourage you guys to do that. If you're like reading a different gospel and you're like, wait a minute, when did Thomas happen? And when did he do that? It's not hard to figure it out. There's no contradiction here. It's just different things that different people brought out for different reasons, Cool? So here's where we're at, though. These two women falling at his feet, spending time. And I need us to think back and remember, where were these women during the crucifixion? They were there. 
Peter had such a big mouth. I'm going to die with you, Jesus. I'm your ride or die. Like, I'm with you to the end, Jesus. Yeah. And he's even like, I'm going to hack this guy's ear off. And then Jesus is like, put your sword away and put his ear back on. Right? And then what did Peter do? He fled. And then he kept at a distance the whole time. And he denied Jesus three times, even the one point cursing, cursing out the people there being like, I don't know this guy. I don't know him. And then the rooster crowed. And then they're just all gone, man. But where were the women the whole time? Women that we don't have any record of them saying anything big, nothing brash, nothing like that. But you know what their actions showed? They had more courage than the disciples did at this moment because they were there watching Jesus. They were there through the crucifixion. They were there when Jesus was dead and his body was still on the cross when Joseph of Arimathea came and got him down off the thing. They were there as he and Nicodemus went and did what they did and put him in the tomb. They were there. And I think it's such a beautiful picture, you guys, that of course these ladies that stuck it out, that just wanted to be close to Jesus, and it didn't matter what it meant because do you understand it could have meant their life too? It could have meant their life too. But they were like, no, this is more important. I'm going to stick around, Jesus. I'm, I'm here. Right? I'm with you. I think it's such a beautiful thing that Jesus shows up to them. Because guess who else was there? Them. They're the ones that are going to the, to the tomb. They're the ones that are doing these things. And I need us to hear something. I don't think this has anything to do with the fact that they were women or anything to do with the fact that the men ran away. I need you to hear that. But I think it speaks very clearly to a couple things. Number one, as we press into Jesus, Jesus will meet us. As we just seek to see Jesus, I promise you, as we want to choose to stay close and be there, we're going to see him moving, you guys. If we desire to be around Jesus, he's going to show up. You guys, I got to say something. I think in the American church today specifically, a lot of people come into church on a Sunday morning and then they walk right back out and then they just live their life. And they're not really like focused in and they're not spending time in the word during the week and they're not doing all these things. And they might even go and say, yeah, pastor, that's legalistic. Don't tell me that. <clears throat> and then, you know what else we hear from those same people? Yeah, I, you guys talk about your prayer meetings and talk about how God's moving. I don't ever feel God moving. Can I tell you why you don't feel God moving? It's because you're not pressing into God. It'd be like being in the middle of a desert and finding a spigot that has water flowing out of it. If you're in the middle of a desert and you're dying of thirst, you're going to stay at that spigot. Yeah. That is how I view our time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's how I view these women's hearts that were like, this is it. This is what I signed up for. And it doesn't matter that this is going horribly wrong in my estimation. I'm still here. Like, that's what matters to me, and I'm not leaving it. And then they got to be a part, and they got to be the ones that went back and told the disciples, hey, we saw him. He's alive. They got to be the ones that experienced that because they were the ones that were seeking him the whole time. Yeah. You guys, as a church, can I just say, man, I want to be a church that's seeking hard after God all the time. And if that means that there might be some that are just kind of like blase fair and on the side, do you know what? I know, I know this, that these women went back and told the disciples, the disciples got fired up. Then that all changed. And then guess what happened? Pentecost. And then 3,000 people came to the Lord in one day. And there was all this just, I mean, look, we are here talking about this. Why? Because of a couple ladies that 
that got excited and, and just wanted to stay near to Jesus. To go back and tell disciples that had been following hard after Jesus for years but had lost their way a little bit. We get to do the same thing, you guys. We get to see him move as we stay close. And then Jesus makes this profound statement to them in verse 10. He says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. My brethren. You guys realize that this is the first time that he refers to his disciples as his brothers, his brethren. Do you notice that the change in relationship? He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He was a perfect, amazing teacher. I mean, you're not going to learn from any better. He's the Messiah. Like, you've got the best teacher in the whole world. But he changes the language here, and he said, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my sisters, right? My brethren, my family. Go and tell my family to go to Galilee, because that's where they're going to see me. You guys, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. He calls them his brothers. And do you guys realize that that change is huge? Listen, Jesus is our Lord. If you're here today and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, that means he's your master. He's your boss. He's, he's it. He's the Messiah. But do you also know, you guys, God is our father and God calls us as Christians, his sons and daughters. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And you guys, I, I just want to get our heads around this, that Jesus is here telling these women, like, go and get my family. I want, I want to see him. It's beautiful. You guys, we get to be in the same place that they were because of what Jesus did. He died and rose again. And so we get to, to experience that sonship, that daughtership with the Lord. And it's beautiful. Verse 11. It says, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. I love that it says some of the guard because it makes me think like maybe a few of them woke up and they just looked around like whatever, I'm not sticking around and just took off. <laughs> Who knows what happened to the other ones? It says some of the guard went and they, they talked to the chief priests. In verse 12, it says, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So I need us to Stop for a second. So Matthew's talking about these beautiful things that are happening and how the disciples are going to see Jesus and these women had seen Jesus. And then he puts this like kind of a little thing right here in the center, this little like, you know, aside that talks about what happened to these soldiers and what the religious leaders did. And so while these believers were in the process of celebrating the empty tomb and all that that meant, those that were against Jesus were plotting how to cover it up. And I need us to get our heads around something, you guys. A Roman guard that failed in their duty probably wasn't going to make it through the day. You were dead. You're a dead man. And we looked last week at the fact that a lot of people believe, and I, I tend to believe, that this was probably specifically the way Pilate words it. This wasn't just any guard. This was not Roscoe Pico train, right? This was not just some random guy that's like, oh, take, take doofus here and send him over to guard this place. No, this was, this was his guard. This would be like the secret service taking guard over this tomb. 
This was a big deal. These were Pilate's guard. It was a big deal. For those of you that are too young to remember, Roscoe Pico train, listen, Dukes of Hazard was what I grew up on. You guys, these guys were the best of the best. They were the cream of the crop. For them to lose and fail at anything was not a good design, but I just got to give us one extra layer of, of, of knowledge here. This was on a sealed temple with a dead guy inside. Sealed, what I say? Sealed tomb with a dead guy inside. Forgive me. Wherever Jesus is, is the temple. Oh, no, I'm kidding. No. Right? This was a sealed tomb, you guys. What did that seal say? We talked about this last week. That seal said, if you touch this, you die. Right? Like, nobody's going to come up there and mess with this, unless you're an angel. Unless you are going to do that, right? Like, unless you have the power to do that. And that's what this angel did. And so he came, he opened the tomb. The tomb was already empty. Jesus was already gone, probably. But the reality is, you guys, is that here these guards go, and where are they going to go? They're not going to go back to Pilate and be like, we lost a dead guy. Right? That's going to be their life. And at any rate, it's going to be their life. Do you understand? And I need us to hear this. We don't read what happens to these guys, but I'm betting they took... I'm, this, listen, I don't know this. Hear me. I don't know what this means, but do you understand that these religious leaders didn't really have the authority to go to Pilate and be like, they're good. They probably died anyway. They probably took the money and went back to their house and like, take it and do something with it because I'm not going to make it till tomorrow. I'm dead. Now, I don't know any of these things. It's not written for us in scripture. I have no idea. But we do know historically that Roman soldiers, you either did your job or you died. So I doubt they made it. The reality is, though, here they are. These guards' lives were over, and they went to the only people that may just have something that wasn't going to just sell them out. They went to the chief priests and the elders together to try to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to control this damage? And they all come up with this idea that the disciples stole the body. Now, I need us to get our heads around this. What did the, uh, what did the religious leaders go and break the Sabbath law for? To go and get a guard so that they won't steal the body. What did they go to Pilate for? So that Pilate would put a seal on the tomb so that they wouldn't steal the body. And yet, that was their only logical conclusion. We're just going to say they stole the body, even though we've done everything humanly possible to make sure they wouldn't. Do you understand how ridiculous it is? It's ridiculous, you guys. The whole reason they did all these things was so that no one would steal the body. They paid these guards to lie about it. And the religious leaders, you guys, at the end of the day, why did they do all this? Because they were so afraid to admit the truth. They were afraid to admit the truth. Do you, I, I need us to hear something, you guys. There are people on this earth that I don't care if the truth smacked them in the face, they would deny it. That's, that's reality. Now, that's kind of a downer, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I got some family members that I would say fit that category. I have some friends of mine that I would say fit that category. But the reality is, and this is the encouraging part, you ready? God is still bigger than their stubbornness. God is bigger than their stubbornness. And so I want to be an encouragement to you guys today and say this. I don't know when we get to heaven if there's going to be some of these 
religious leaders that maybe, just maybe, someone just kept praying for them and kept praying for them and kept praying for them. Maybe Nicodemus just kept praying for the people, his friends, his co-workers, the people that he worked with and just kept praying and praying and praying that we're going to get to heaven and be like, whoa, you're here. And they're going to be like, oh yeah, you don't even know what I did before I came to Jesus. Like literally, you have no concept of what I did. I was in this meeting saying that he stole the body until God got a hold of my heart. So there's no one that's too far gone. Do you understand that? As long as there's breath in someone's lungs, they can come to Jesus. Amen. And we need to hear that, you guys. I had a, <laughs> said this in first service. Some of you guys have probably heard this story a hundred times. But listen, it just, I, my heart is for people that are very far from the Lord because I am one of them people that was very far from the Lord that God brought back. And I've seen in my family, you guys, people that were very far from the Lord. I have a cousin uncle because where I live is like, ding, ding, ding. So... <laughs> He's not really a cousin uncle. <laughs> he's my cousin that I thought was my uncle because he's so much older than me. He's like a fourth cousin. And I didn't know. So growing up, I just always called him Uncle Dale until I was older and realized, oh, he's not my, co- he's not my uncle. He's my cousin. Um, so that's how that went. But anyway, you guys, he lived his life like hell on wheels. He was a raging alcoholic. He did lots of drugs, all sorts of drugs. At the end, near the end of his life, you guys, my, my, one of my real uncles came to the Lord. He had ALS, and he came to the Lord, and he was going to Dale and saying to Dale, like, man, you need to, you need to know who Jesus is. My dad was going and talking to him about Jesus. All these people were talking to my, my cousin Dale about Jesus. Dale was in a wheelchair because he had done so many drugs and just abused his body so horribly that he had to lose his leg because it was getting gangrenous. It was, there was no blood flow there anymore. His liver was shot. Every, his body was just falling apart. Through all of this stuff, you guys, people were kept telling him about Jesus. He didn't want to hear it. My uncle died of ALS. People were still talking to him about Jesus. He didn't want to hear it. I talked to him at the funeral. He didn't want to hear it. My dad died. He fell off a roof and just died that day. It was a very quick thing. I went to him then and I said, Dale, do you know that like... They're in heaven because they accepted Christ, not because of anything they did or didn't do. It's only because they accepted Jesus that they're in heaven. And and God wants to do the same thing for you. And he had some very explicit words for me about what he thought about God and how God would not do these things and how God was just a horrible God if he was going to be willing to just take people's lives like this. And he, he cussed me out. And even then we kept praying. So I got a call and it was like, oh man, we're probably a month out from Dale passing because they needed to do, and you guys got to understand, he had done so much drugs in his life that they, when they cut his first leg off, he had to be awake for it because the amount of anesthesia that would be required would be enough to put a horse down so they couldn't do it. So he was awake with local anesthetic and they just saw it through his leg. And so here he was and he had one leg left and they were going to have to take that leg too and it was like a month away and they're like, it's getting bad, it's getting really, really bad and There was one person left in his life that was really speaking hardcore to him about Jesus. It was a guy named Brad that was a friend of our family's. Years prior, their son was on a four-wheeler and they were riding and Brad was, you know, I forget exactly how it went down, but they had their son, their their young son, five years old, on the thing. He had a helmet on. Everything was fine. The four-wheeler came to a complete stop and they were getting him off the four-wheeler and he hit a stone wrong and broke his neck and he died. And that was it. And that was this godly family walking through life, dealing with all that heartache. And so he kept going to Dale and he's like, you need to know Jesus. 
And Dale kept going back to him and be like, if there was a God in heaven, he wouldn't have taken your son and died and just going off and off and off. And Brad kept saying, no, it's not the way it goes, man. God knows what he's doing. And I'm going to get to see my son someday because I know Jesus. And so he kept talking, kept talking. Got to the time where he was like, Dale, time is growing short for you, man. Time is growing short for you. And so we get to this point where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting, hearing things from my family about what's going on with Dale. And we were praying for Dale, Grace, and I, and we were just asking God, would you bring him to you? Would you bring him to you? This man that is so, so stubborn. And they tried, they were getting ready to cut off his other leg and they couldn't because the gangrene was too far. And they were like, you will not make this surgery. You're not going to live. And so they went back to him and he had like a week. They gave him a week. And he came back and, and Brad was like, I am not going to see you again. This is it, man. Like either you understand what's going on here or you don't. And so he, he left and Dale still didn't want to hear it. And then I, I screwed the story up a little bit. He came back that last time, one more time before he died, you guys. And, and Dale was like, I'm glad you came back. And Dale could barely speak. He was really out of it. And the fact is, you guys, is that he's like, after you left the last time, I called a pastor. And he's like, the one thing I wonder is what took me so long? He came to Jesus, you guys. You're going to meet my cousin Dale. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, you're going to meet my cousin Dale and you're going to know a man that's going to be like, man, I lived my life like hell. And yet Jesus still accepted me. You guys, that is something I believe all of us can get a hold of. And I think even these soldiers, even these religious leaders, even these people that were fighting hard against Jesus, Jesus could even get a hold of their hearts, you guys. We need to hear that. We need to hear that as we walk in our world and walk in those circles around us, our family and our friends and our coworkers, that we might look at some of them and be like, man, you are the most heathen person I've ever met in my life. Do you understand that God loves them and actually wants them to come? <laughs> Nobody is lost. Nobody is too far from Jesus. So, verse 16 says this. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The disciples went to Galilee, as they had been told to do. And when Jesus came, when they saw Jesus, man, they worshipped him. They were just worshipping. They're like, oh, here you are, it says, but some doubted. What does this mean, you guys? Most of y'all are probably thinking like, yeah, Thomas, right? He doubted. I think it doesn't say Thomas, right? It says some. There was more than just Thomas that was doubting. I think Thomas, when he doubted, right? And that was a different situation than this anyway. This is one of those harmony parts. That's something that was happening, right? But here's the deal. Happened before this moment. But here's the deal. And this is what's crazy about it. I think Thomas was the only honest one at that moment. Thomas was the one that was honestly saying like, dude, I don't get it, and I don't understand it, but if you, it, it, just let me touch your hands. Let me touch your right? Like, let me do these things. I, I appreciate Thomas. I think sometimes that's what people need, right? But here we see that says some doubted. What does that mean, you guys? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means this. Some doubted they could do this by themselves. They doubted they could do it by themselves. They're like, man, Jesus, every time we ran up against the religious leaders, you were the ones that dealt with them. Can we think back to some times whenever the disciples were trying to deal with it? Do you remember the person they couldn't heal when Jesus took the three disciples, James, John, and Peter away, and all the other disciples were trying to heal this 
kid that got brought to them and they couldn't do it. And what did they end up doing? Getting into a big old fight with the scribes who were yelling at him. And they, like, I kind of imagine him just being like, oh yeah, well, you know, like just sticking their tongue out. Like I get, that's all they had. Like they didn't have anything. And they're like, Jesus came back and dealt with it. So I think they're looking and saying, I, how are we going to do anything? Jesus, you're the one that's got it figured out. You're the one that knows what's up. We don't know what's going on. How are we going to do this? Do you guys doubt yourself sometimes? I do. A lot. I think it's healthy. Do you know why? Well, we know something that they didn't at this point in history, and that's that the Holy Spirit was right around the corner. You guys... In ourselves, we will do nothing. So it was good and healthy and honestly humble for them to look and say, what are you expecting of us, Jesus? In our flesh, we're going to screw this up. We've got three and a half years to prove it to you. Right? Peter's like, oh my gosh. I've got just a couple days ago. Right? But what else did Peter do? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on him. He stood up and he preached and 3,000 men, which means there was more than those 3,000, came to the Lord. You guys, 3,000 people in one day. Whoa! That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Every church in the Seacoast would be full because we'd be like, we ain't got room for y'all. Go somewhere else. (laughs) That'd be awesome. God is good. And the fact is, is you guys, the Holy Spirit was coming. They knew that they could do nothing by themselves. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that they can do anything. And I need us to get a hold of this, you guys. We need to hear this, church. We, as the American church, are a very anemic church. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I think we look at ourselves too often. Number one, we don't have a right estimation of ourselves. We actually think we can do something on our own. That is horrible. Because we can't. But the second thing is, is that we also maybe have a right estimation and we're like, we can't do anything on our own, so we won't do anything. That is equally horrible. Because here's what we're called to do. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and be used by him. I said in first service, and I'll say it again, it's something I heard from one of my pastor friends way back in Idaho when I was there. He said this, do you know the difference between your flesh and the Holy Spirit? Your flesh will want to say, excuse me, to have a seat on your recliner and watch TV. The Holy Spirit will say, go talk to that person that you don't even know if you might get punched in the face for telling me, telling them about Jesus. Is it always that drastic? No. But do you get the difference? If you're like, is this my flesh to just sit and eat bonbons all night? Probably. (laughs) Is God okay with that? Sure. Nothing wrong with that. I like me some bonbons. But if the Holy Spirit in that moment is telling you to get off your behind and go talk to somebody, then you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Then you're not following the Spirit. Does that make sense? We are way too worried about being uncomfortable as a people, you guys. Mm. My encouragement to us as a church would be, be willing to get uncomfortable for the Lord. And the encouragement in all that is, and something I've found in my life, is the more time you spend saying, God, I'm going to follow you. And even if I'm screwing this up a little bit, I trust Holy Spirit that you're going to work all things together for good. God, that you're going to figure this out, Lord, that you're going to move it. And if I do fall flat on my face, I fall flat on my face at your feet, Jesus. And you're going to be like, come on, let's keep walking. It's okay. Repent and let's move on. There is a lot of freedom and grace, you guys. 
There's a lot of freedom that we get to walk in with the Lord. And the reality of all of this is, you guys, is as we do that and as we walk that out, you guys, we get to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. We grow comfortable in the uncomfortableness. I think that's where we should be as a church because I think when that happens, the Holy Spirit's like, all right, let's do something. We get to be a part of it. Verse 18, finishing up. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You guys, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Just let that sink in. Every problem you've ever had in your life or will ever have, Jesus has authority over it. Every situation, every word you speak, everything that happens in your life, Jesus has authority over it. Everything that's spoken to you, every accident you have, every bad thing in your life, Jesus has authority over it. And I need us to hear that. Does it mean that he's like up there being like, oh, watch this? No, I don't think so at all. But I know this, God works all things together for good. So even in the worst things, you can say, Jesus, I know you got this. I know you didn't catch you off guard. God, help me to walk through this. I'm walking in your strength, Lord. Jesus has authority over all these things, you guys. This is good news. As a Christian, though, it means something. Ready? It means he has authority over you, too. Christian, you need to hear that. I think if we don't get that part first, then the second half of what we just read doesn't sink in as deeply. If Jesus has authority over you, then when he commissions you, that means that he actually means what he says. Do you know what a commission is? Let's look at what a commission is. This is from Webster's Dictionary. A commission is an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people. An instruction, command, or duty given to a person or a group of people. Do you guys see anywhere in that definition suggestion? The name of this message is the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. You guys, every believer is given a command by Jesus himself, the one that has authority over heaven and earth, to go. To go. Go do what? Make disciples. It says every believer is commanded to go into the world. What does your world look like? Your world is whoever's around you. Your world is your family. Your world is your coworkers. Your world is your neighbors. Your world is your friends. Your world, you guys, is the world that you exist in. And your world is not going to be the same as another person's world. I think that's by design. God allows us the, the freedom and the joy to walk in the situations we find ourselves in with our friend groups and with our situations and our family that's going to allow you to minister in a way that is different than I ever would be able to minister to them or any other person. And that goes... In reverse too, doesn't it? I just told you a little bit about my family. My family's stubborn, y'all. You guys be like, man, I give up like two milliseconds into this. And I'm like, no, I'm still, I'm still fighting because I'm stubborn too. You get it? We, God gives you all a world. And that's who you're, where you're supposed to go. You're supposed to go into that world. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to make disciples. You guys know the main difference between a disciple and a follower a disciple learns from a teacher and then moves on and spreads out the learning. 
A disciple learns from a teacher and then moves on to spread his learning or her learning. On the other hand, you guys, a follower just believes in an idea. Here's the problem. I think we need to get a hold of that truth because I think we have a lot of churches that are doing a great job of making followers. I think we need to be churches that are building disciples because that's what the commission is. That was the command. Go and make disciples. The fact is, you guys, we are called to go and make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, here's the first key. And this is why I think we have a lot of churches that are making followers is because we have churches full of followers. The only way you can make disciples is to be a disciple first. The disciples made disciples. Those people that took the command seriously and said like, yeah, I've been commissioned to go do this and I'm going to go do it. And they went and they did it. You guys, discipleship is a process of just following after Jesus and becoming more like him. And isn't that the point of the Christian walk? Isn't that it? Just to keep walking with him, to walk through sanctification. Or am I saying you're going to do it perfectly? No, none of us can. If we did do it perfectly, you guys, you realize we wouldn't need Jesus in our lives. We would need you. Does that make sense? None of us are Jesus. Jesus is Jesus for a very good reason. And I'm so thankful because, man, every day I'm like, oh, Lord, you know my body. You know the way I thought, Lord. You know the way I am when I go to bed at night. And I'm just like, oh, God, this was a dumpster fire today, Father. Would you help me? Right? And then even on the good days when I'm like, Jesus, I didn't barely interact with anybody. And all I did was spend all day in your word because you gave me this wonderful, amazing job of being a pastor. And I love it, Lord. He's like, oh, watch your pride there. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, here I am, dumpster fire. Lord, I bring my pride to you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Man, we're all messed up people. We need Jesus. But the fact is, guys, we get to walk through that in sanctification. If that's what you're doing, you're a disciple. I'm not here to down you, but I can tell you this. If church is just something you come to check a block on so you can go live your life like hell the rest of the week, you are a follower. And that is not a good place to be because you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You're not doing the thing God called you to do. As a Christian, you may have your get out of hell free card, but you're okay apparently with everybody else going to hell. That's not good. You guys, we're supposed to live lives in word and deed. Now, how do we do that? Walk out these lives like Christ in word and deed. Well, I'll tell you one way we don't do it. We don't do it in our own flesh. We already talked about that, right? You've got to do it in the Holy Spirit. You've got to be seeking the Lord and saying, God, I want to spend time in your word, not because it's just an obligation that I have to do every morning, but because this is literally my opportunity to hear from you every day. God, I want to spend time in prayer with you because, Lord, I, you know the words that come out of this mouth. And God, you know how much damage we all could do with our words. And so, Father, I need you. I need you, God, to grab hold of this tongue and make it what you need it to be, Lord, today. I need you to speak Speak the words that you want spoken. Lord, I need you to open these two ears and close this one mouth sometimes so I can just listen. God, I need you to have, give me a heart of prayer. I need you, God, to, to do all these things. If we're doing that, you guys, then we can be like Paul in Corinthians 11.1 1 and say, follow me as I follow Christ. This is the core of making disciples. Be a disciple. Another way of making disciples, you guys, within the church context is this. 
We provide opportunities for you guys to be disciples. And I'm going to say this. I've had people be like, well, you know, I don't like my church because I'm just not growing there. Well, here's the deal. Sometimes that's absolutely true. Sometimes for some reason you're just, you're called to go elsewhere and that's okay. And if that's true in this church, that's okay. I've encouraged people already. Like you're not growing, man. That's awesome. Like you don't like the yelling and screaming. I get it. My wife doesn't like it either. She's endured it for 18 years. But the fact is, you guys, is that, man, God has a place for you to fellowship. But when you're there, do you know what, whose job it is to make a disciple? Your job. Your job is to go and be a disciple. So what do we do as a church? Well, we provide opportunities like Thirst Night, like we did on Friday night, to just come together and pray and seek the Holy Spirit. And man, we want to see the Holy Spirit moving. Are we after the kooky and weird? No. We're not, but I'll tell you this. I read a lot in here that I'm like, oh God, I want you to give somebody a heart of prophecy to go and to pray over someone, to read their mail and be like, God told me to tell you this. I want to see that. Why? Not because of any other reason that I just want to see God moving in the lives of people. Because that's being a disciple. That's getting uncomfortable. I want to see God move. I want to see people being given scripture that they get up here and they're like, hey, I don't even know what this might mean to all of you, but I feel like the Lord wants me to say it and just read it. I want people to just seek the Lord and worship. We provide those opportunities for you to follow and be more like Jesus. We have Bible studies on Tuesday nights. We have prayer nights that we like to do. We have chances for you guys to serve in the body. We have two services. You can serve in one and come to the other. Those are opportunities for you to be a disciple. That's it. That's what we do. We provide those opportunities. Much like Jesus went to Peter and said, put down your net. And Peter could have said no, but he didn't. He put down his net. And then when those fish came in, you know what he did? He left the nets and he's like, I'm following you. That's what Peter chose to do. And so we read about Peter. Do you get it? It's each individually our job to be disciples. It's the church's job, you guys. It's the church's job to provide opportunities for you to be discipled. What else does he say? He says we're supposed to be baptizing disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is an outward expression of an inward change. And can I say a healthy church is baptizing people. And I'm so thankful that just a few weeks ago we were able to baptize six. I'm stoked for more. I know we have people that are already into it. I told them like we'll wait until like, you know, January and go to the ocean. (laughs) Yes! I'm down, man. I want to see people baptized. I want to see people growing. The last part of our commission, you guys, is to teach them to observe. It says, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Observe here means act upon. Act upon it. Not, not look at it. Act upon it. Do it. The things that have been written in this word are for us to do. How do we do it? Not in our flesh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, you guys, a pastor is an under-shepherd, right? That's the idea of a pastor. That's my job. And I have a privilege here of being the pastor of this church. And my job as an under-shepherd is to give you God's word and to teach it by God's grace, hopefully, in an accurate and truthful and an and accurate manner, right? Like, that's my job. That's what I endeavor to do. But the fact is, we're all charged to go and teach what we learn. So what you're learning here, you're supposed to go and teach. How do you teach? Through your actions and through your words. And then finally, Jesus gives us this great promise. He says, he's with us always. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you know that's true. His Holy Spirit is residing inside of you. He's with you. 
So you guys, if you hear nothing else today, if you're here today, if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus yet, man, he died for you and he rose again. And you've got to decide, is he a lunatic and a liar or he is the Lord that actually told the truth? And I believe he's the Lord. And that's what we just read today. And so if you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants to know you more. You just got to come to him and repent. Just admit that you're screwed up and join the rest of us screwed up folks that have already admitted it. (laughs) That's it. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.